0: This will be David and Lauren's uh, last Sunday. So if you see them this morning, they'll they'll be out there in the foyer. If you see them, just make sure that you um, take the time to give them a hug and Thank them for all that they've done while they were here and just encourage them, maybe pray with them a little bit for traveling mercies as they go off to Tennessee. Um, So make sure you get a chance to do that. Also, uh, it's Father's Day. We have a tradition here at Grace Chapel that we give out tomato plants on Father's Day. And uh, we've been doing it for a long time. Sometimes we'll mix in other things, but uh, usually tomato plants. So we have tomato plants out there. That's why when you walked in, you saw those tomato plants. We're not planting a garden. We're giving them to you to plant in your garden um, so make sure as you're, if you're a dad you take one of those tomato plants on your way out um, I hope you are encouraged it's not all finished yet but you know the stage the lighting's going in they, they put the drains in if you look out there it's why all the cones are out there they're putting the drains and they, they they're pulling things out and getting it ready to pave a first part of July first week in July um, the building's almost finished being painted uh, some of the aesthetics that'll go on the building the glass door is coming in this week. Instead of having that garage door, we'll have a glass door and and, and change that out. So there's a lot of other things that are going to be happening over the next two or three weeks that will completely transform the look of this campus. And I just want to thank once again all those who are working so hard to make it look so good. They're doing a fantastic job. We're We're in a series called Great Expectations. I've really enjoyed doing this series because it's it's biblical, but it's very practical as well. And I don't know about you, but I have uh, I have found myself in conversations about other people that are, uh, to say the least, not very uplifting. You know, you're standing there in a conversation and it kind of turns and you find yourself in a conversation where people are being discouraged or put down. And it's so easy, I found, for us to vilify other people or to set expectations that are almost impossible for those people to reach, and then basically judge them, if you will, for our unrealistic expectations. And one of the things I want to do this morning is, as you sit here, don't poke the person next to you, okay? Make sure you're not poking anyone next to you, because this whole series should be self-reflection. Obviously, we all want to learn. We all want to grow. And, and so this is more and this morning, especially a lot, hopefully will be a lot of self-reflection for you, because if you're going to grow, I think it's one of the greatest gifts that God can give people is the gift of self-reflection to look at yourself and say, boy, I really need to work on this. I really need to grow here and grow there. You come into church sometime. You think everybody around you thinks they're perfect. They don't. They look sometimes perfect because they're sitting here and they're smiling, but they're not always feeling the way they look on the outside. So I want you to understand as we come together as the followers of Jesus Christ that we have a long way to go in our spiritual walk. OK, we're no different than a person who walked in off the street, maybe for the first time in their lives, came to church this morning. The people around you are no different. They may be a little bit ahead of you on their spiritual journey, but they're on a spiritual journey. So when you people say, oh, Christians are hypocrites or Christians are this or Christians are that, you know, that's not completely true all the time. Obviously, there are hypocrites in in every walk of life. But what's happening is people who can reflect on their own weaknesses are trying to overcome those weaknesses and grow in those weaknesses. and Sometimes they fall short. But praise be to God that we have one who goes to the father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Who's the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only our, our sins, but also the sins of the whole world. So that's what we're talking about when we're talking about great expectations to expect is to have a preconceived idea, if you will, a preconceived idea that something should happen or will happen. Now, I want you to think this through a preconceived idea that something should happen or will happen. That, my friends, is a recipe for relational disaster, correct? When you have the idea something should or will happen. Now, we already said this, but we need to have great expectations of God. First sermon we talked about, we need to have great expectations of God, that God will love us unconditionally, that God will never leave us or forsake us, that, that God has a purpose and a plan for our lives. So we need to have those great expectations of God, But unrealistic expectations of others are usually created in our minds through basically uh, unhealthy thought patterns. Instead of just having great expectations of God, we have, in a sense, great expectations of other people that that are beyond, I call them, unrealistic expectations. And those come from unhealthy thought patterns in our lives. These expectations honestly can be as simple as my, my new boss. That old boss, now he was—he just didn't have his head on right. But my new boss is really going to care about how I feel, right? Because he's a new boss, and he—I and he, talked to him for five minutes, and he—he he has that. Heart. I can just tell. I can tell he's a different kind of person. He's going to care about how I feel, and when it doesn't happen. We're instantly let down because we have these unrealistic expectations that somehow this person is going to be different. We build it all up and then we're let down. Unrealistic expectations about others stem from misguided certainty. Unrealistic expectations about other people stem from misguided certainty. My wife will always blank. She's always going to... My husband should or he will, and you have these expectations... And those don't usually end well when we have those kind of unrealistic expectations or misguided certainty that this person, when I get married, my husband is going to be just like Mr. Darcy. You know what I'm saying? Whatever movies that we saw or you watched or whatever else, that's the way my husband's going to be. That's the way my wife's going to just be. Oh, she's going to be so sweet all the time. She's never going to have a bad day. And she's always going to meet my, all of my needs and rub my back and rub my hair and always tell me how wonderful. That's what it's going to be like. And we don't say that out loud because everybody would laugh at us. But the reality is that's kind of what we have in our minds sometimes. If you think about it, expecting certain behaviors from other people usually result in disappointment, frustration, and anger. When we have unrealistic expectations, high these ridiculous—I well, don't say ridiculous—but sometimes these unrealistic i'll keep using that word expectations it ends in a disaster a relational disaster now obviously we want we want to have expectations of other people i remember my youth pastor told me one time he was explaining to me you know just about marriage and about life and he said if you really want to be happy when you get married he said give 100 100%, 100% and expect nothing in return and i thought well i understand his point he was right If you want to be happy, then you give, you give of yourself a hundred percent and don't have these unrealistic expectations. The other person is going to meet all of your needs because once you do that, you are, you're dooming, if you will, your relationship. So as we continue, here's what I want to do. I want to, I want to share four unhealthy thought patterns that come out of unrealistic expectations that lead to strained relationships. OK, so the first one is the first one is assumptions. Don't you love assumptions? They always work out for us, don't they? Assumptions when you assume something, you ass- you assume something is true based upon what you think is true without proof. That's where assumptions come from. OK, you assume something's true based upon what you think is true and most of the time without proof. It is spiritually, just so you know, spiritually immature and extremely dangerous in a relationship. When you assume that you understand why a person is acting the way that they're acting or why they're behaving the way they're behaving. It is, it is a, it is a death sentence to a relationship. When you think you completely understand why this person's behaving the way that they're behaving. It's spiritually immature. In 1 Chronicles chapter 19, verses 2 and 3, there is a great example of an assumption that was made that ended up backfiring. Okay, it says this. David thought, I will show kindness to Hanun, son of Nahash, because his father showed kindness to me. So David, that's David's motive. His father showed kindness to me. I'm going to show kindness to him. So David sent a delegation to express his sympathy to Hanan concerning his father. When David's envoys came to Hanan in the land of the Ammonites to express sympathy to him, the Ammonite commanders said to Hanan, Do you think David is honoring your father by sending envoys to you to express sympathy? Haven't his envoys come to you only to explore and spy out the country and overthrow it? And what does Hanan do? Hanan basically assumes that what they're saying is true without any proof. So he has an assumption. Oh, yeah, that David. And you ha- this happens all the time. You know why that person's doing that? You know why they do this and that? And they give you all these reasons. And all of a sudden you start vilifying that other person. You start coming up with other reasons. And you start building up in your mind why they're so evil. Because they're, you know, they're just, they ha- it has to come from evil intent. And you build it up in your mind. And so they made the wrong assumption about David's motives and they paid a heavy price for it. A battle ensued. There was a battle that went on and thousands of people were killed. Assumptions destroy, kill relationships. When you assume something without proof, you are going to destroy your relationships with friends. It doesn't really matter. You destroy what. Well, I just assumed that you... Someone tell me when that sentence ever ended well, right, in your life. Think about it. Well, I just assumed that you were going to pack the... Right? I just assumed anyone was going to be ready when the... When has that ever ended well when you start out the sentence with, well, I just assumed that you... And never... Assumption's the mother of all screw-ups, Right? When you assume something like that, I, I thought about that. I thought, when is that ever in my life when I said, well, I just assumed nothing good comes after that. Nothing good has ever worked out after that because assumptions mess up our lives. When you make assumptions about others, you also create a lot of unnecessary emotional and mental pain. When you make those assumptions, it's so much pain, especially, here's the thing, especially when you assume the worst, right? When you assume the worst. And boy, as in a fallen world with a sinful nature, don't we always run that way sometimes that we assume the worst? Someone says something, someone does something, and all of a sudden we assume the worst. And then we, sometimes we make the mistake of acting upon our assumptions like they did with David, like the Ammonites did with David. And it and all of a sudden you find out, well, that's no I. The reason I blah, blah, blah is because that was the. Re- oh, oh. But you already fired off that email, right? send. Right. And all of a sudden they get and say, well, no, you don't understand. My whatever was sick and I couldn't because. And, and you're like, oh, uh, you can't get it back because you acted upon your assumptions. You know, one way to avoid making assumptions is to try to see things, try to see past, if you will, the surface. We're so good at making assumptions based upon a lack of information. We just we say we think something is true. Because we think in our minds, we don't find proof for it, but we just make assumptions. And what, I'm, what I want to encourage you to do this morning is to think through or think below the surface. Ask yourself some questions. One of the questions would be, what is this person going through right now in their lives? What's happening in their lives? What is, what is happening right now in their lives or what may have happened to them in the past That is causing them to behave this way. What's going on in their lives that is causing this person to behave in this way? If you just take yourself... Self-reflection, okay, and you say, you, you project that on other people. The reason I sometimes react when you poke me in a certain place is because I'm wounded from the past. And so when you say something and I, and I, out of character, maybe bite at you, is it because, oh, he's just a jerk. or I can't believe he's, he's just, that's just the way he is. And you vilify the person instead of, wait, wait, time out. Maybe they went through some things in their past. Maybe they're going through something right now in their life. Maybe they just found out something that is going to have a profound impact on their lives. I just don't know it. But giving the person the benefit of the doubt. When you understand another person's hang-ups and their hurts and their struggles, it allows you to see things from a different vantage point. Let me illustrate with this video. in these fights too. That's a great video. And I think it's so true. We would, wouldn't we? If you actually could see inside a person's heart and and understand what they're going through, I think it would change the way we react to each other. The second unhealthy thought pattern is comparison. Oh my gosh, does this ruin our lives? Truth be told, listen to this, you you, you cannot be content and envious at the same time. Think about that. Because we want contentment. We want peace and joy and contentment in our lives, but you cannot be content and envious at the same time. In fact, it's one of of the greatest kept secrets that if you can overcome your envy, you will have contentment in your life if you can just do away, eliminate envy from your life. This comparison that we go through, James 3.16 tells us, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and envy and every vile practice. Just acknowledging that you struggle with envy can be painful, right? I mean, just the fact, again, self-awareness, just the fact that you would acknowledge that you, you struggle with envy can be painful, but it's the, it's the first step toward healthy change. It's really the first step toward becoming more spiritually mature, having spiritual maturity in your life. God says that you the way that you change envy is to change your perspective, to look at things differently. While you may not completely be able to wipe out the the feelings that bring envy, because that's just, we live in a fallen world, we have a sinful nature, it's hard for us not to feel what we're going to feel. So though you may not be able to wipe out the feelings that cause envy, you can change the way you look at things. You can change your perspective, and that will help eliminate envy from your life. To change your perspective, the first thing you need to do is, listen, stop comparing yourself to other people. Stop comparing yourself to other people. The Bible says that satisfaction comes from being the best that you can be, not from comparing yourself to other people. In Galatians chapter six and verse four in the living Bible, it says this. Let everyone be sure to do his very best, for then he will have the personal satisfaction of work well done and won't need to compare himself with someone else, think about it honestly. Let's be honest with each other. How often do we compare our uh, compare ourselves to other people when it comes to our our jobs or our our marriages? Your husband, your wife, your you know whatever it, whatever it is your car, your home, even your lawn. You look at your neighbor's lawn like, oh, look how groomed that lawn is, you know, compared to my lawn with all the weeds in it. We compare, we constantly compare ourselves to other people. When you answer the question, how much you compare yourself to someone else, it will open your eyes to the bondage that you've been living in. The bondage that you've been living under and will show you that there are so many more important things in life than comparing yourself to other people or comparing your stuff to other people's stuff. When you start to realize, self-reflect and realize, this is controlling, this is putting me in bondage. I can't really enjoy my life because I'm constantly focusing on what someone else has and what I don't have. I'm not as strong as, I'm not as smart as, I don't have the same kind of whatever as the other person has. And it keeps you in bondage. When, When you strive to be the person God created you to be, When you truly strive to be that person, you'll find you'll find real meaning and real purpose and real fulfillment for your life. When you strive to put aside all of those things that are holding you back, all of those comparisons. And we do it all the time because our culture does it all the time. Keeping up with the Joneses, however you want to put it. We are completely compelled by our culture to compare, compare, compare. But it destroys our lives. It ruins. You can't even enjoy. I have found myself comparing myself or my situation, whatever, to someone else and then feeling kind of discouraged. And I have a thing about I walk up my driveway and I do this almost 50 percent of the time and I look at my house. I look at my lawn. I look at what I have. And I think to myself, remember where you came from? Could you ever imagine that you would have a house so awesome? And it keeps, me, it, keeps, it keeps my mind in check. It keeps me realizing how thankful and happy I should be with what God has given me. But we get to a certain point, it's never enough. We want a bigger house, we want a bigger car, we want a better car, we want a faster thing, we want this, we want that. And and that comparison and the envy, it ruins us. Listen, you cannot keep your focus on your purpose in life. While comparing yourself to other people, while looking at other people, you can't focus on God's purpose for your life. If your eyes are focused elsewhere on what everyone else has, what everyone else is doing. When we compare ourselves to others, even like saying, well, you know, he's so much smarter than me. He's so much. He's so much this or that. We listen. We fall into a pit. We fall into a trap. These are all Traps. We fall into a trap. And once you start doing that, it is so difficult to stop. It seems like it never ends. Listen, there will always be someone or something for you to compare yourself to. No matter how high or how far or how much you get, no matter how good you look, there's always going to be someone to compare yourself to, and you're always in your mind going to fall short. We have to stop with the comparisons. Comparisons rob us of our peace, our joy, and our contentment. So you have to ask, why do we compare ourselves to other people? Why do we compare what we have to what other people have? It's basically dissatisfaction dissatisfaction drives your comparison. You're not satisfied with where you are and what you have. We want we want to be better. We want to be stronger. We want to be smarter. We want to excel at the expense sometimes of other people. Yes we will excel as long as we're excelling. If, if it's at the expense of someone else, if I harm someone else along the way well you know what? That's not my problem. The problem is though Philippians 2, three reminds us do nothing, listen, do nothing from rivalry rivalry or conceit but in humility count others more significant than yourselves put people above yourself comparison drives us to unhealthy competition and creates a me focused attitude it is okay to want to be the best that you can be but not at the expense of everyone around you that is not a biblical worldview It puts strain on our relationships. It destroys our friendships. I have had friendships destroyed because people were making comparisons. And somehow they thought that I was something this or that. And so they would do things that would literally destroy the relationship. We destroy our relationships because of comparisons. The third is unhealthy desires, unhealthy desires. Well, first, let me say that there are some desires that are healthy, but just like everything else in the world in this fallen world, desires can be corrupted. A healthy desire. We can have a desire to live a righteous life. I can have a desire to lead people into a relationship with Christ. I can have a desire to take care of orphans and widows. Those are all good desires. But the problem arises when we let our sinful nature take over. And it it takes those desires, those good desires, and it warps them and it corrupts them. See, an unhealthy desire is to covet something that you don't have. You begin to covet things that you don't have, things that you want. And so you have these unhealthy desires. We, we, we do this because we're, again, discontent, feeling as though we're lacking, that we don't have enough. There's something more that we should have. Instead of looking at your life and saying, thank God I was born in this country, that should be enough. It's not enough. Because as soon as you get to a certain place, there's always something more. We desire something more. Desire Desires are closely related, closely linked to comparisons, right? You think about it. We compare ourselves and the result is desire. We have this desire for something bigger, for something better. Why? Because now I compared myself to some of these people over here. I compare myself and so my desires change. Instead of having positive desires, desires that honor God. I don't have those anymore because my desires are now pulled in a different direction and are warped and are corrupted. Now I desire something else because I'm comparing myself to someone else. See, it's okay to strive to be your best. It's okay to strive to be the best that you can be, that God has called you to be. But when those desires drive a wedge between you and other people and you start to tear down people around you, and you watch your relationships begin to diminish. You cross the line, and those relationships become become. Uh, you basically, they be, they are destroyed. Your relationships are destroyed. They're they're permanently divided. God's people, okay, are created not to live this way. God's people, a godly person, should be motivated to do their best for Jesus Christ. To live their life with passion for Jesus Christ. To desire to achieve all they can achieve for God. Not to beat someone else. That is not the goal of a Christian. It is to live your life to the fullest, to glorify God, and to accomplish, to accomplish all that he has for you and help others around you accomplish that what he has for them as well. It is not to beat the other person. And comparison and desire drive us to do that. Fourth is me-centered ideals. Here's a tough one. This is where I really want you to have self-reflection. This is when, this is when our minds create, in a sense the perfect outcome the perfect situation or worst of all the perfect person our minds begin to create that and we get these this this idealistic mindset and our ideals our, our ideals are symptoms of perfectionism now there's again i'm talking about when when ideals are corrupted okay But again, we live in a fallen world. We're sinful people and our ideals get corrupted. And and some people have this perfectionistic attitude about others, those around them, and they end up destroying relationships based upon those ideals. They're usually set up, honestly, as unrealistic goals. Some of you are like, man, that's where I'm living right now. I'm living with someone or I have people around me have these unrealistic goals which are almost always my friends impossible to live up to because honestly what i've found is they change they change as you try to live up to them and it, you kill yourself trying to live up to these uh, these unrealistic idealistic goals but you can you can never do it because ideals are hard to achieve you get you create this this mental and emotional frustration they cause you to live under this Intense pressure. Think about it. This intense, this intense pressure, this immense pressure and and unnecessary anxiety. So we create this unnecessary anxiety with the people around us because we put them, we put idealistic expectations on them that they cannot live up to. And when there's a gap with what you think is the ideal for that person and reality, because that's what usually happens, dissatisfaction and pain are usually the result, correct? People cannot live up to those standards. When you have an idealistic mindset, that's often imp- you're often impossible to please, honestly, and you're, you're really impossible to live with when you have this perfectionistic attitude toward those around you, you're very difficult to please and you're nearly impossible to live with. And when you push that kind of attitude on other people, they can hang on for just so long before that stress eventually destroys the relationship between you and that person. And here's what will happen. That, pe- that person, that child, that husband, that wife, that friend, they'll try their best To live up to your idealistic mindset, your perfectionism. They'll try their best, okay, to hold up under the pressure. But sooner or later, they will come crashing down because they're only human. You see, I think every one of us can sit back and we hear that song. I heard that on the radio. And I think every single person can relate to how that makes you feel. But can you admit and can I admit that we do that to other people? Can we admit that we inflict our expectations, our our assumptions, our comparisons, our desires, our ideals on other people? Again, it's self-reflection. It is so easy to hear that and say, yes, that has happened to me in my life. People have such high expectations of me. It's so easy to see it when it happens to us. But can we see it when we do it to other people? That's what helps you grow spiritually. Hearing a song like that and just saying, yes, I have felt that way. But then asking yourself, do I make those around me feel that way as well? Parents, ask yourself, why are you pushing your child to be so great at this or great at that? Whatever, whatever it is. Is it for you or is it for them? Are you trying to relive the glory days? Are you trying to compare your child to other children? And your child has to live up to the expectations that you have of them because your friend and your, your, your relatives expect a certain thing, and go to a certain school. And so you have all these expectations of your children. Let me give you some. Let me share some thoughts with with you as a father and as a grandfather. We run around like squirrels from one activity to another all the time, trying to give our kids the edge, right? Trying to put them in a position where they're going to be successful. But what I've noticed is that God takes the back seat, God gets second billing. God gets God gets pulled out when it's convenient. Somehow God has become in a Christian, not in a Christian world, not in the non-Christian. God has been kind of like he's become part of the of the overall puzzle that we have for our children's lives. You know, we need to fit God in there to make sure they have that spiritual aspect to their lives. Let me tell you something. Investing in your child's spiritual life is the most important thing you will ever, ever do in your entire life. Because when they're done with all these activities that consume all of their time, we're leaving them defenseless. You say, what are you talking about? I, my kid knows this and my kid knows that. Let me read you from 1 Peter 5.8. It says this, be alert And of sober mind, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Our children are spiritually vulnerable. They are defenseless. The way we bring them up sometimes, we make them defenseless. They will be unable to defend themselves, and they're going to end up like most of the world. Dysfunctional in their marriage, frustrated with their jobs, not able to work through conflict. They're, going to, they're just going to be discontent and stressed and disillusioned with life. Why? Because we had a part. We got to own some of this as parents. We had a part in building their foundation on shaky sand. And the enemy's going to come along and pick them off. We've got to put God first. God needs to be first in their lives. All these other things are important. There is nothing wrong with all these other activities that our children are involved in. But the most important thing in their lives should be their relationship with Jesus Christ. And everything else should grow out of that relationship with Jesus Christ. Whatever else they do should be to the glory of God. And they should understand that. And they would understand that if they had a dynamic, intense Strong foundation in their relationship with Jesus Christ. Listen, we need to have great expectations of God. Great expectations of God. But we need to avoid having unrealistic expectations of others. We need to allow people the freedom to grow in their relationship with Christ and grow in their relationship with others. We need to look at other people and start to understand that they don't act the way they act all the time just because they're jerks and something wrong with them and they're just evil and they're just terrible. There are things that go on in each in all of our lives that we don't know about all the time. We need to give each other the benefit of the doubt and maybe ask a more probing question when a person comes at you a little aggressive. To step back and ask some questions. Do what Jesus would do. Look into the person's heart. I've always said one day, one day, I'd like to get to the place where someone walked up and punched me right in the face. My first reaction would be, I wonder what that person has gone through in their lives or was going through right now for them to behave that way instead of what I would probably do now. My first reaction we need to see people through the eyes of Christ and what they're going through. Are there evil people in the world? There certainly are. Are there people who do things just because? Absolutely. But the people sitting around you, most of the people in your family, most of the people in your, in your friendships and in your life, They're not just trying to ruin your life. There's something going on in their life and we should help them. We should be relational enough and have a strong enough spiritual life that we're reaching out and trying to understand why they're hurting and why they're doing what they're doing. Healthy relationships are based on Christ-centered principles. We need to evaluate our motives and ask our God to help us readjust our stinking thinking. Because I have it, you have it, we all have it. Every single one of us. You want to grow. You want to become more mature. You want to change your life around completely. Then you need some good self-evaluation. Stop blaming your parents stop blaming this person stop blaming that look into your own heart yes there are reasons why I turned out the way I turned out in my life but at a certain point I need to take ownership of my own life it's a healthy thing to do I need some self evaluation say yes this caused me to behave this way but now what now how do I move forward in my relationship with Christ how do I move forward in my relationships in my family relationship with those, with my friends how do I do that God help me to evaluate myself and the areas of my life that I really need to work on and stop telling people this is just the way God made me and start asking yourself some difficult questions and getting the help that you need to become the person that God created you to be. If you have self-reflection... And you have a Christ like heart to look into other people and ask some really tough questions and say, why are they behaving this way? What would cause them? If you can do that, your relationships will be transformed. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We praise you and we thank you for the way you're working in our lives. Father, I pray that you would help us as difficult as these sermons are sometimes to deal with. I pray that you'd help us individually to work on our own hearts to look at ourselves, to reflect on ourselves, Lord God, and, and ask the tough questions. And when other people come out of us, I pray that we would have the, the spiritual maturity to ask different questions about what's going on in their lives and how we could intervene and maybe help so they can become the people that you created them to be. This is all difficult, Lord, but with your help, we can do it. And we thank you in advance for what you're going to do in our lives and in the lives of those around us. Because you're an awesome God. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray all this. Amen. Happy Father's Day. Have a great week.